I'd like to bring having an edge as a professional. I love the whole human side and untapped potential and a belief that I hold is we're not our finished products, the fun is in the making. I think people think that resilience is you take on more and you just don't crumble. What mission are we on? What do we want to bring to the table that's really going to make a difference and helps us to feel fulfilled in the work that we do rather than waiting for retirement? From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and on today's episode, I have a special friend who I've been trying to get on the podcast for probably months and months, but we finally made it happen. She is an NLP master practitioner, a trainer, a leadership coach, and a, the co-founder of Kapaga, where her official title is Chief Mischief Maker, which I prefer rather than all those other fancy titles. And she's someone who, we always have a running joke, was probably Indian in her last life as well. And we'll reveal all on that. But I just want to welcome the amazing Kerry Nichols to the show. Hey, Kerry. Oh, thank you, Paddy. Thank you. I was thinking about two things then, just in those introductions. When I first set up Kapaga, I had another business just before then. But my background has always been as an employee in a corporate environment, investment banking generally. And I never, ever in all that time in my, I don't know, 20 odd years of working in investment banking, never got to choose my title. It's always a title that's given to you. So as soon as we set up Kapaga and we thought, well, we were once asked, what is your title? And I thought, actually, I don't have one and I can make it up. So I would say that more people connect with me on LinkedIn and just say, I love your title, Chief Mischief Maker. <laughs> it connects me with more people than I think anything else has. That is super cool. I love that. And again, you got my attention straight away when you said that for the first time. I think more of us should do that, right? We should kind of explore different titles. I was speaking to a colleague just recently and they were thinking of what title to give themselves and they were looking at a really grand title. And I tend to agree with you. I think make it interesting. For sure. There was some research done and the idea came from a book that I read where it said that if we only look in our professional lives and the things that we do, if we only ever look at that in terms of the role that we do we miss out on on the mission that we're on and who we are and the kind of uniqueness that we bring to the table and that never gets explored because you have a corporate title it might be vp engineering you know that but what does that doesn't really that just kind of 
buckets you into something. And I get it. Matrix organisations, large, massive organisations need some way in which to do that. But I would also love to see that if people just explained a little bit about what they do or that what they really bring, that's the whole point for me is about professionals and this human side of being a professional. You know, that's where the future's headed. And I think these little things that we can do make all the difference. Yeah, which brings me on to the superpower you'd like to bring to this episode. I'd like to bring having an edge as a professional. So a a real like professional edge. I always felt in my career that there were certain things that I would learn, like technical skills, domain skills, industry skills, all of that great stuff and the knowledge that goes along with that and the practical side of that and how you do it really well. But the rest of the stuff always seemed to me to come through the school of hard knocks. And that was the whole people, leadership, making connections, getting the best out of people, your own resilience. All of that stuff was kind of left to chance and some people made it and some people didn't. And I never really bought into that school of thought. And I guess that was really the basis of Kapaga starting was the fact that especially now in the world of AI, technology, machine learning, we're all shifting and the VUCA landscape, volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, all of that lot together to me is just showing a very clear path that as humans, the world of work can be really exciting. So rather than a potential fearful approach of these things, that it just opens up a whole different set of avenues of how we work and what we bring to it, which is why I think now the narrative of the soft stuff being the weak stuff has just been blown out of the water, which I'm loving because, you know, that's what we do. I love the whole human side and untapped potential and a belief that I hold is we're not our finished product, the fun is in the making. And so wherever we are, on whatever journey we're on it doesn't end there isn't an end point it's this kind of it's motion it just continues oh I love that and the mission of this podcast has always been about focusing on those human skills so I think we're a perfect match for this episode Kerry and for those that don't know about your background and I know you've alluded to some of your previous experiences there could you Give us more insight into that. And if you could connect the Indian side as well for us in that story, that would be great. Do you know what I have with me? I'm not sure whether it's even going to be on video, but I, after your mum's lesson in chapati making, roti making, I understand that chapati was the English word, roti making, yeah. I have this and I also have my filled little tin here as well of all my goodies. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So let me connect those dots. In terms of background, I kind of, in a way, stumbled across banking. I joined a Japanese bank as my first kind of foray into banking. 
And I always believed that maths wasn't my strong point. And I would like to say that's been blown out of the water, but it hasn't. Maths still isn't my strong point. I Actually, I joined banking in a legal department. I found that what I loved was being able to interpret legal language into something that could be practical and If you think about a transaction or a deal, it would be about, well, we've got legal and we've got operations and we've got maybe finance and we've got the front office and we've got all these different areas. And my job at the time was kind of to interpret everything that everybody said to get a deal out to market. I found myself being able to flex with all of those different groups in a way that I could understand exactly what each of them meant to be able to put something together that could actually get out to market and be bought. And so I started that and picked that up really quite quickly and then was headhunted to go to another bank. So I was there for two years and got headhunted. And at the next bank was where I stayed for 18 years. And I think a couple of things happened in that. One was that I was asked to set up a new business within that in the States, so a completely different country. Secondly, I remember in the financial crash kind of waking up one morning and thinking, actually, I don't work for the same company anymore. We've just been, we've merged overnight and having the task of being able to bring like two really big banks together. And at that time, I worked in the finance department. And I think throughout all of those experiences is where I started to really yearn for personal development. It didn't seem to me like it was professional development. It was personal development that I needed in a professional setting because it was going to be about how I communicated or how I connected with others or how I felt about different situations. And whether that be from a psychology perspective, a philosophy, a sociology, a lot of it was about understanding my own values and beliefs, how that would then make a difference, because those are really the drivers of our behaviours. So I think that I probably got really intrigued by this whole human notion of stuff and the world of work before it started to become a thing. I just had a natural intrigue in it and an interest. And so back in 2015, I left a wonderful paid job, which I enjoyed. I really enjoyed my career in the city, absolutely loved it. And I think I, I had some really great experiences. And I left there knowing that what I wanted to do was to be able to offer the development opportunities to others that I couldn't find for myself. And and that was really what led to us setting up Aga. So that was a little bit about my background and how India came into all of this. I guess was a dear friend and a colleague back in my 18-year career at St Merrill Lynch. And she was a really wonderful woman. I really admired her. 
She was born in the UK. Her parents were from India. And we connected on lots of different levels. And she got into this thing called NLP. And she said to me at one point, she said, oh, Kerry, there's some stuff that I really like how you do it. And I'm doing this thing called NLP. And within NLP, there's this element of modeling. And I'd like to model you on some of the things that I see you do. And I just thought that one, I was blown away by the compliment. I mean, there's no bigger compliment, is there, than not just somebody feeding back to you to say, oh, I like what you did there. This was, I like what you did there. And I want to learn from you how to do it. That was the first time that I'd ever heard something quite as as powerful in feedback. And so I was blown away. Of course, the next question that she asked for was maybe a bit of funding and some time off to do the course. <laughs> so I'm not too sure if the two things were connected. <laughs> but we did this thing called modelling and we got on so well. Anyway, we ended up kind of going in different directions that she invited me to her wedding, which was in India. And that was the very first time that I travelled to India for this amazing wedding and ended up travelling kind of down south and then mid-India. And I think in that time, one, I've always loved travelling. I actually took a sabbatical when I was at Merrill Lynch for quite some time to just travel the world. So through Russia, Siberia, Mongolia, into kind of Central Asia, and then off to, gosh, where else did I go? Anyway, lots of places. But basically travel, did a round-the-world trip. And in all of that, I have really got to love, in a way, seeing how small the UK is. I really feel like I'm a global citizen and now whenever I go to India I feel like I'm going home there's just something in me that says yep you're on route you know that warming feeling that you get when you're going somewhere that is just so culturally rich and colorful and people and food now I know how to make rotis so yeah and of course our work together Paddy as well and just spending time together in India and being able to design develop and deliver the kind of courses that we did which were all about mindset and and humanness they were less about the technical aspects I think if we can get people passionate about a concept or a or something that they're going to be doing if they feel like they've got a calling and a mission where they're headed then the rest of it becomes easy. (laughs) That's the bit that we need to kind of, that we need to work on. So that was the connection with India and a bit of my background. Oh, brilliant, Kerry. And I mean, that's that's an amazing journey that you've been on, especially that corporate world and then being brave enough to take that leap of faith and setting up on your own. And now you've set up and co-founded this great organisation, Kapaga, and and the India side, that was quite interesting as well. When you and I were there, I just remember coming down for breakfast. And as I love my Weetabix for breakfast, and I think the rest of the staff in the hotel were quite shocked because across the table, they see the English person with a whole array of different Indian dishes. 
<laughs> and and there's me with my Weetabix. And so there's a kind of a contrast there of cultures. And I think someone should have taken a photo of that would have made a great piece of art. Just even that <coughs> moment of seeing those two contrasting meals. I had a brilliant time, honestly, Kerry, when you and I were out there. And, uh, and I have to say, Kerry is the one person that I've met who can eat chilies like she drinks water. That's just don't know what, what you have in your blood there, Kerry. <laughs> and as you saw, my son is a chip off the old block, as they say. He loves his spice and really lucky when we were delivering some stuff in, in India and I was also going to a conference and it was about the same time as the holiday season. So I was lucky to take Lenny to India and people would say, well, would you like something else? And it's like, no. <laughs> breakfast was curry and doses just when we were together he was perfectly fine with the spice and yet my wife had tears in her eyes and I was just like laughing my head off because I knew what was coming she didn't (laughs) (laughs) and she fell for it oh no brilliant so Kerry talking about this kind of personal edge tell me more about that because initially I was thinking are you going to be talking about personal branding but I don't think that's what you're getting at here. So could you lift the lid on that a little bit more for us so we get to understand what that really means? Before we continue, here's a quick word about the sponsors of this show. So your execs have decided to go through a big transformation to change your ways of working. They've restructured the teams, invested in new tools and techniques, but there's one small problem. How do we measure our improvement consistently across the organization without falling into the trap of relying on what we call vanity metrics. Yup, those KPIs that look great on paper, but just aren't very useful. I want to introduce you to Comparative Agility. It's the world's largest continuous improvement platform. They've gathered over 4 million data points from thousands of organizations so that you can benchmark your maturity against the world index or compare yourself to your industry. They have a wide range of different surveys covering topics such as business agility, psychological safety, DevOps, employee engagement, and many more. What makes these surveys so valuable is that they've been written by respected thought leaders who are experts in their field, such as Mike Cohen from the world of Agile, all the way through to Dr. Amy Edmondson. So whether you're a coach, team manager, or a transformational leader, Be sure to check out Comparative Agility to help implement a culture of continuous improvement. Best of all, you can test drive the platform completely free. To find out more, check out the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. Maybe a way to explain it is if we think about our skill set, our minds might go into our specialism, the thing that we do, and we might place a label on that thing. And then we might place a label on the maybe the industry that we're in or the domain skills. So basically, we'll have like specialism, we'll have technical, we'll have domain skills, we'll have a whole load of stuff which kind of places us maybe where we are today. And and all of that is important, but it's the rest of the stuff that gives us a professional edge. 
So if you saw a really great engineer, let's take an example of, a, of an engineer. I've got somebody actually that is springing to mind at the moment. So you get somebody that's a great engineer and that is great technically, but they also have an ability to empathize with colleagues and customers. They also have an ability to maybe storytell. They seem to have a wonderful amount of resilience. And I've got to be careful with the word resilience here because sometimes I think people think that resilience is you take on more and you just don't crumble. So you kind of creak at the thing, holding the weight of everything. I certainly don't mean that. I mean, how do you re-energize yourself? What's the energy with everything else going on in life? Because it's not just the work side of things. It's just one angle of who we are. So I think that All of these other things, if we take that one person and you think to yourself, wow, that's somebody that I could learn from or that I'm excited to be around, what does that take? If you're motivated in that way by somebody that you come across, that's how we would say that's a professional edge. And so it's very different to a technical skill. We actually describe it on three levels. So there's the inside edge. How are we feeling about things? What's the values and beliefs that we hold? Where do we personally aspire to kind of head towards and our own vision? What mission are we on? What do we want to bring to the table that's really going to make a difference and helps us to feel fulfilled in the work that we do rather than waiting for retirement? What's the stuff that kind of excites us? So there's a massive piece of self-awareness in there. And being able to kind of understand maybe some of the our own patterns and strategies and things that we run. So there's the whole kind of inner game, the inside edge. Then there's also the outside edge. So the outside edge is all about how we connect with others, the, the rapport that we gain. If we're in a team, what do we bring to that team that's outside of our specialism? What are those gifts that we can kind of gift into that So the outside edge is all about it's going to be trust, it's going to be how we interact, it's going to be our style of communication. And then the leading edge, which is the last kind of element in that professional edge, is we don't mean leading and then there's a follower. It's about how we unlock potential in others. Everybody's got untapped potential. So isn't our role as leadership to help others to fulfill that potential. I just want to kind of take a pause on that word leadership for a moment, just like I did on resilience, because I think as we progress as professionals, I think there are some pretty big realisations that are happening. And they've certainly only, for me, really have only happened in like the last five to 10 years So I think one is about resilience, whereas before it was stiff upper lip. Now we talk about the energy difference and how we re-energize what we might need to bring our best selves, that kind of thing. Leadership is, is similar. I think when the narrative between management and leadership started to happen, it was as if they were the same thing. And now I quite like the definition which I think it was Amy Edmondson, might be Amy Edmondson, might be Brené Brown, one of them. But they said that leader equals role and leadership 
is the set of behaviors, thinking, kind of feeling, human, sentient being that we are. And so when I'm talking about leadership, it's not the role that you're in, because we might think of that as being seniority. I think of leadership as being at all levels. It's the professional edge, whether you're on a graduate scheme or whether you're kind of way up there from a seniority and a maturity perspective in an organisation, the leadership stuff is what we're talking about here. So three elements that make up the professional edge. I love that. There's those different layers because when we use that sort of term, it feels like, well, is it just about me? Is it about other people? Like, where do I start with that? And so if somebody did want to analyse and I guess, start to reflect on their professional edge. What's a good starting point for, say, someone like me? I've got maybe a couple of things that I'm really passionate about that are my specialisms. And now I want to build these other aspects to my overall skill set. Where might I start? Good question. The first thing that springs to mind is we've actually created a little scorecard for people if they are interested. So because that question came up a lot, um, okay, I've connected. I know now what you mean by professional edge. Where do I start? What do I do? So we actually, we created a scorecard. I think a lot of these things give you some form of right or wrong answer. And having a professional edge is so unique and subjective to the individual that there isn't a right or wrong. So therefore, the scorecard that we created was much more about being able to reflect on a set of questions that would lead you to consider some things in that space. So you're not going to get, is this right or is this wrong? It's a, what are you thinking What's your current thoughts around resilience or when do you notice that you're least resilient and when do you notice that you're most resilient and what is resilience to you? So therefore, I would say for sure, take the scorecard because at least it will give you some areas in which to reflect. But I also think that there there is now so much out there in maybe little pockets of places. So I think some wonderful books out there that are really enlightening. I think TED Talks are something else that's really enlightening. But I think if you're going to do some of this kind of reflective space just for yourself, I would probably break it down into those three areas. So inside edge, outside edge, leading edge. So inside edge would be reflecting more on kind of who you are as a person and where you want to head to. So a great little technique for doing that is just to think to yourself, well, if I'm in three years time and then you find a spot somewhere in the room where three years time would be and just go and stand in that spot, the physical movement of moving to somewhere all of a sudden your mind starts to go, oh, so it's that that I'd quite like. And you're not going to get from that little exercise, <laughs> you're not going to get my next career move, my where I'm going to be living, you know, what kind of relationship I'm going to be in. You're not going to get the specifics, but you might get a little bit of a flavor that says, one, it's achievable because if I walked there, then I'm able to get there. But secondly, when you look back, 
from a place in the future and you look back to now, your mind has to create a pathway as to how to get back. So it's a really neat little tool just to start exercising what you might want for the future by stepping into it now. What you're seeing, what you're hearing. How do you feel about where you are in that three years on spot? I was going to say that's a bit of a technique I use when I'm speaking sometimes. If I'm talking about the past and the present and the future and I'll actually physically move across the room just to get the audience to almost visualize the past and visualize the present. But that's more of a presentation technique. But I can see how that would be super useful to do when you're reflecting on your own future, really, is what you're saying. So you're taking yourself into that space. I know you're a NLP master practitioner. And for anyone who doesn't know what NLP is, it'd be great just to get your view on that, your quick summary of what it is. And how can... NLP help with the professional edge as well and building that professional edge? Good question. So NLP is neuro-linguistic programming, not natural language processing. So I say they're different things. The more that I'm learning about natural language processing, (laughs) the more that I'm seeing the uh, the synergies between the two. But let's stick with neuro-linguistic programming. So there are many definitions and descriptions of NLP. The one that I have chose to stick to is that it's the study of the structure of subjective experience. Now, that's going to take a lot to absorb. So let me break that down a little bit. You and I, we're going to be very unique individuals with different thought patterns we would have had different experiences we would have come through our careers in different routes so therefore what we bring to the table is a very subjective unique us which is great now because we have these experiences these subjective experiences we grow a real empathetic lens for each other because of the fact that we recognize that how I might come at something is not the reality of the world. It's just my reality. And that is really freeing and empowering. But it's also safe to say that we are creatures of habit. And so the way that we do one thing is often the way that we do many. So understanding ourselves is kind of rule number one when it comes to NLP we get to really understand ourselves in a kind of deeper way and because we can create so much empathy by holding the belief that we're all so unique we can be curious about others and kind of unlock that intrigue as to well actually my way isn't going to be the way is it it's going to be probably a collective of all of us together that's going to maybe shape something together. So the ability to be collaborative comes, I think, comes from holding the belief that each of us are unique and therefore we'll all have a different take and can all bring something different to the table, whether that's our thoughts, our values, our beliefs, even our order of our values, what are we prioritising at any one given time? So going back to that definition, the study of the structure of the subjective experience and the structure bit being that if we recognize something in ourselves, 
that is familiar or something that we do fairly often. Like I'll give you an example for me. So years and years ago, the thought of being on a podcast, either on video or even just the sound would have been unimaginable for me because I had such a horrific fear of, I can't even say it was public speaking. It wasn't a fear of being up on stage. It was just a fear of eyes on me. I would crumble and it was horrendous. Now I knew that was something that I had formed over time and a set of experiences that may or may not be traumatic. We're not talking about kind of trauma per se here, but even a lot of people stem their fear of public speaking from things like having to put their hand up in school and getting an answer wrong. And from that point, it's like, oh, I didn't like that. I've got the answer wrong. I'm really embarrassed. And you create these kind of string of things that finally gets you to this point that says, it's okay, Kerry, I'm going to keep protecting you. So therefore, you never put yourself forward for these opportunities, because that's happened. So therefore, that is a structure. That's a structure that's happened. It was very known to me. I was very good at it. I was very good at avoiding speaking to people. I was very good at avoiding eyes on me in any situation, really. And I formed these kind of new strategies to avoid the thing that was painful. But I knew that for me to progress... I needed to change something. So my subjective experience had a structure behind it. And by studying it, I could change it. And that's NLP. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Kerry. And I totally relate to that kind of anxiety you mentioned about putting yourself out there. I think I was exactly the same. What's been really interesting for me is, as I've had to edit the episodes myself, you have to hear your voice in your ears again. <laughs> and oh my God, it's so cringy at first when you're listening to yourself. And I can even imagine me editing this part of the podcast now. And I'm going to be like, oh, why do I sound like that? Why do I say that? It's amazing. And I've talked to other guests as well, people who are in acting, for example. And I say to them, like, so do you watch yourself on the screen, on the big screen or on the TV when you're in a movie or whatever they're shooting and they're like, no, I hate seeing myself, I hate watching myself back. And I'm like, why is that? Why are we as people really scared or not so confident of those things? It's just nuts. That's all I can say is it's just nuts. Why do we do that to ourselves? And even now I'm not fully confident about hearing myself back but you kind of deal with it and you do get to get better with it but it's still cringy for sure yeah and and the choice point as to what you do with that like for me I didn't do anything with it for a very long time and I thought that it would either go away or I would just find a way of kind of dealing with it and that never happened for me it got to a point where it just became so limiting that the pain of the limitation outweighed the pain that I was going through. And I thought, hold on a minute, I've got to do something different here. So I think the choice point is always, we can do nothing about it. We can immerse ourselves in it. And therefore, 
the kind of repeatable action of it in the hopes that we feel differently about it. And I think those things have been the go-to for a long time. But actually, there's this whole other kind of realm of possibilities in which we can explore that in a different way. So I think one, the self-awareness. So what's the secondary gain that we're getting from our response to that what is it that we're not liking about our voice is there a a different frame that we can place on that and also that this thing of coaching whether it's self-coaching and just the ability to coach yourself and that point of not feeling confident confident is a belief at its core it's either a belief in a skill or an ability or it's a belief much kind of deeper than that is the belief in ourself. So in any context that we're kind of dropped in, how do we feel about us? What do we believe in ourselves at that given moment? And I think exploring those types of things, either self-coaching or just thinking about the self-awareness around that or getting a coach or going on things like NLP or And not just NLP, this is where right at the start of the podcast, we were talking about this difference of professional development and personal development. And I think for so many years, professional development has been the thing that organisations have focused on. And that professional development might tell you the three golden steps of presenting in front of an audience. What it will never do is give you the personal side of how your subjective experience of presenting. (laughs) And so now with the world of work as it is, what's required and what's expected, and also not even just the heaviness of expectation, but just who we want to be fulfilled as professionals and enjoy our working life and make a difference and help others and do all the things, get great products out there, be part of something really special. Most of us, I think, would like at least part of that, if not all of it resonates. So therefore, how our uniqueness becomes even more important in this space So I think for many years, development has really missed a trick where it's just been about the specialism. It's just been about the framework. It's just been about the domain expertise. And yet we've got these like wonderful human beings (laughs) that could do so much for ourselves, for our mental well-being, for our own health, for our families, for the organisation. When we do that level, I think, of personal development, it benefits all, benefits society, the globe. Everywhere, absolutely. And talking about benefiting society, you must have coached plenty of people. And can you give us an example of somebody that is particularly memorable for you who went through this journey and then out on the other side, it's completely transformed their life? Without giving names, obviously, because I'm sure some of your clients want to keep that kind of quite sensitive and confidential. But can you think of an example of someone that really sticks out for you that went through this whole journey around their professional edge and came out on the other side that you thought, wow? Yeah, I think without giving too much away, 
The person that I'm thinking of, I had the pleasure of working alongside them for some time. And I always thought of them being somebody that certainly inspired me. I think what they already brought to the table was a real raw honesty and openness. And and they were great technically and from their specialism and all of that stuff was great. But actually, we held a few coaching sessions. And in those coaching sessions, I think what became very apparent was that There was just so much more. I think sometimes people think that coaching comes from a space of there's a problem. Coaching is a way to solve it. And yes, of course, that can be the case. But it also can be just the good to great. So she basically realized the limitations that she was placing on herself and it Partly it was confidence, but there was a whole other load of stuff in there. And now she's gone out on her own. She's global stages. She has gone from kind of limited to infinite. And I honestly think that whatever you choose to do with that freedom, sometimes I've had the privilege of seeing people uh, go really big with the outcomes of coaching but I think that where I get the most pleasure is not necessarily from the biggest outcomes it's from the most impactful outcomes and seeing somebody that I know could make a huge difference to the world be limited by certain kind of beliefs and thoughts and thinking and feeling and experiences to see them then be unlimited and the world's their oyster and whatever they go on to do with that thing is many people are going to benefit from it. It's massive. I think coaching brings freedom and clarity and those two things are so underrated. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Kerry. And uh, we're fast approaching time. So I'd love for you to give us maybe some resources that people can go to for finding out more. And yeah, we'd love to hear how people can get in touch with you as well. Yeah, I think just like as fun little starters, because I think, well, the fun is in the making, as I said earlier on my belief set. So the first book that I'd recommend is a book called Alive at Work by Daniel Cable. And the reason that I'm choosing that book is that's where I got the thing about choosing your own identity, your own title. It was from that book. There were some really great tips in there and some understanding about what it means to be a professional in today's world of work. And he comes at that from a neuroscience perspective, but it did certainly open my mind to some new things. In terms of TED Talks, there are plenty. People like Amy Edmondson and Brené Brown. But the one that I would like to share is probably my all-time favourite, again, because it's just so fun. So Tim Urban did Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator. And that, I think, is... If you're not very good at reading books, watch that first and then he'll get you to read the book. 
don't procrastinate on it. <laughs> so, so that's a really good set of kind of TED talks as well to to consider. And then, lastly, to connect with us, it would be lovely to meet new people and to hear their journeys and where they're at and their experience of being a professional in today's world of work. And the way that you can do that is either email is kerry at kabaga.com, nice and easy, or follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And on our website, you'll find the scorecard, which I would say is probably the, if you're, if you're just looking at the moment for nothing else but to reflect, then that would be the starting point, I think, on inside, outside and leading edge Oh, fantastic. And I do remember that TED talk because that's one where he has those little doodle images in the talk, doesn't he? Yeah, that's so memorable. I remember that. So yeah, definitely check that one out for sure. And Kerry, thank you so much. We'll put those links in the show notes as well so folks can get access to you guys. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much for for joining me today. It's been so fun and As always, lovely to talk to you and catch up on things as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm off to make my roti smell. (laughs) I'll have three, please. (laughs) Thanks, Paddy. Oh, you're welcome.